Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to Trundle Bed Tales. Today's episode is a Travel Times episode with Christmas museums and living history. And uh, today uh, we are going to find the right place. Here we go. Welcome to Trundle Bed Tales, the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, one room schools, and other social history. This is Sarah Utah, the host and creator of Trundle Bed Tales. Find us around the web under Trundle Bed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps people find the show. And before we get going here, it's time for a little housekeeping. And I want to first off make sure that you've taken a look at my blog lately, trundlebedtales.wordpress.com, because we've done a post on the Little House Christmas plays and events around the country. Uh, Those are mostly over, but they are still there. Most importantly, I have finally, every year I think I'm going to get it up earlier than I actually do, but I finally have up the annual Laura Ingalls Wilder Shopping Guide. Now, if you haven't looked at this before, uh, a few years ago, I think this was the seventh year I did it, so about seven years ago, I went through and came up with the post that was suggestions for things people might want for uh, for Christmas if you are a Laura fan for both people who would know what to put on their Christmas list and for people who were shopping for them. Every year since then, I have done an update post, which are some of the new things or the best-selling things at the home sites. I try and contact them all. I put the links for their gift shops. If they have a last day listed for priority mail, and I put some pictures of some of these new things up on the website. And I think uh, that even if you have already spent out all your Christmas money, you might well enjoy taking a look. And I have a very special uh, uh, T-shirt of the month this year, that or this month, which is going to be coming out here for Christmas. So look for that one to come soon. And as always, I oh. And then I forgot, after I got so busy talking about my blog post, I also wanted to let you know that if you're enjoying this episode, next Sunday, the 16th, at 11 a.m. Central Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, we are going to be talking to Polly T. about his Little House Adventures. Now, he is going to have kind of a unique um viewpoint in that he was uh, he is a very big Little House in the Prairie TV show fan and he has made some trips to places that normal Little House fans don't get to go to so 
Uh, he's been to places where they film the TV series, but he has also done uh, some of the Laura home sites. So I think it would be very interesting to get his perspective on stuff. So that is going to be on the 16th, and you can always catch it in the archive afterwards. Now, as we always like to make sure on the show that people uh, know they can take part. So if you would like to call in and leave a comment or a question or make a comment or a question, the number is 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253 or toll free 1-877-633-9389. That's toll free 1-877-633-9389. Six three three nine three eight nine, and I am sorry that our trouble with the chat room continues. It is something about Adobe Flash not being very happy on my computer, and it looks like it is on my end, but I haven't been able to track down a fix yet. So don't worry about that. If you again have something to share, feel free to call in, or you can catch me afterwards on social media, on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. And with that, it is time to finish up the housekeeping. And get on with the show. So today, we are going to be talking about traveling to a museum for Christmas. Now, particularly, I'm going to be talking about house museums, uh, living history museums, historic villages, that kind of place. There are also Christmas things to do at natural history museums and art museums and all those kind of things. But uh, what I'm going to be talking about today are primarily things that are representation of houses or home. So the historic sites, there's, they have different kinds of things. So you've got house museums. House museums that are standing alone are almost always uh, for uh, some uh, an upper-class home that was just so impressive that people preserved it, or the birthplace or later home of a famous person. And uh, they tend to be standalone or standalone in uh, in grounds. So, uh, for instance, in Cedar Rapids, well, in the Cedar Rapids, Marion, Hiawatha area, there is the Granger House Museum in, in Marion, which is sort of a lower upper class, middle upper middle class, uh, and was owned by a businessman who was involved with the starch mills, I believe. And they have the home um, decorated for Christmas every year at, I think, somewhere around 1900. They used to have kind of uh, nice, they had a lot of mannequins there. I don't know if they still put them out. But uh, when we went, they would have them acting out little vignettes. That was always a fun thing. Uh, For a large house museum in Cedar Rapids, uh, Bruce Moore is uh, the uh, house on the National Historic Register and is uh, was a very wealthy man's house. In fact, there were a couple different families. The middle families, um, the 
the brother of the man who was the middle family that owned the house went down in the Titanic um, first class. And the last family, the guy was really involved in Hollywood. The, his, his last name was Hall. And uh, he put out some behind the scenes footage of Gone with Wind that he'd shot when he was there. He had pet lions uh, that were involved somehow with the MGM lion. And uh, <laughs> he had a, a building that was a combination squash court and book bindery. I just love that. But anyway, so you, uh, this would also be, you know, Biltmore is very famous for their Christmas show out east. Um, it would places like that. Then you have uh, historic villages, uh, which are normally places, a lot, a lot of times they tend to be local places that started out life around the time of the bicentennial, sometimes a little earlier than that, that are set up to preserve local houses. They are quite often set up in terms of a town, which is why you're calling them a historic village, but they'll be different, different time periods, houses from different places, but they're just kind of locally trying to preserve uh, these houses and these buildings and these businesses and this atmosphere. And then you have actually living history museums, which can be farms or towns or a combination of both that are set up to be, well, I want to say lived in, but it's actually... Uh, more than because they don't actually live there that's what uh, my friend Kathleen Wall who's been on the show before always says about Plymouth Plantation we don't actually live here no matter what we do we can't make it exactly like we lived here because we don't live here Uh, but it's set up like that so they demonstrate cooking they demonstrate how to do different things uh, decoration, jobs what have you. And the difference between uh, living history, well, well, there's a couple different levels of living history. And like the costume interpretation level, somebody is dressed in old time clothes, but they say they did this. And first person you say, I did this. So those are kind of the different places, kind of what we're talking about. So, um, why should you brave the weather and the cold and, and go? What do you want to do to prepare to visit? Well, there are Christmas events at a lot of these types of museums. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, in the north, they have in the Midwest and kind of any place where it gets cold, usually your living history season peters out sometime around September, October, and you'll find the museums going down to limited hours and closing for the season sometime around then. When I worked at Usher's Ferry Historic Village, we always uh, closed for the year at the end of October after we did a Halloween event, and that is pretty typical that you'll see longer hours in summer Shorter hours, spring and fall, closed down for the winter. But a lot of places, including Laura Museums, especially Malone and Mansfield, which both have had very active Christmas uh, programs in the past, they will open back up for this one event. Now, 
because it is often sort of a one of one of a time one a one shot deal over the summer you will see people sort of saving staff and saving volunteers because they've got a lot of hours to cover. They got a lot of events to cover and you don't want to burn people up or use them out uh, or use them up. So you, a lot of times in museums, particularly when they do not have a great budget, which frankly is most museums, things will be kind of a little understaffed. I know we were understaffed at Usher's Ferry, that people could coming through would have had a much better experience if we could have had two more people per opening shift. But budget-wise, it wasn't going to happen. That kind of thing is not a problem at Christmas. If there is a place that has a Christmas event, they will bring in everybody because and they haven't been there for usually, uh, you know, it could be a couple months. So they're feeling fresh. It's a new thing. They're glad to be back. They're excited about it. So if anybody who is on staff or who is a volunteer or has a special thing to do, they're going to be out at the Christmas event. And they're all going to be near where there is heat, usually for the most part. So you're going to see um, a lot of times, multiple people, staff or volunteers per building, you're going to see a demonstration of crafts to a level that you will not see other times of year. You'll see uh, probably more cooking a lot of times, and I can't say this definitely across the board, and it definitely depends on your lo local health code, but a lot of times the staff and volunteers might be cooking on the wood stove during the day and then going to have a big meal that's the uh, site's uh, holiday party that night. So you'll see a lot more cooking because people are kind of working towards an actual meal and they know that there'll be multiple people cooking. So they're going to be kind of breaking up what it is. So you're going to be seeing different things being done in the different houses. And it's just um, a very kind of exciting time and there's often extra things. So, if they have anything that they can do, that there'd be a horse-drawn carriage or even a horse-drawn people mover, you'll see them kind of things going on at Christmas. If they have animals that people, you know, can pet um, of any kind, they'll be out at Christmas. Uh, it, it's, they'll have people out performing musically. They will have hands-on things. So, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening and it is always a good chance to go to find out what is happening because it is such a complicated schedule. It's a great idea to check with the site wherever you're going, not just for hours and admission and things, but to get a schedule and to read it over ahead of time because sometimes the schedule's are not exactly when you would schedule things. Sometimes things will be done multiple times during the day. Sometimes they'll just be ongoing. Sometimes they'll just happen once. So you really want to get the schedule and read it through ahead of time if you possibly can because you don't want to miss out on something cool just because you didn't, you just kind of wandered around. So definitely do that. Also, um, 
It's a time when there are a lot of decorations usually going out. Now, sometimes these places will go out of their way to have very authentic decorations. So uh, you're going to see around this area, a lot of our kind of scrub bush are called red cedar trees. In fact, that's why Cedar Rapids is called Cedar Rapids is because there were all these red cedar trees around the rapids. So uh, it, they at Usher's, which definitely wasn't one of the hardest line people on keeping it accurate, we did. We'd go out and cut these red cedar trees, and that would be what we'd have for a Christmas tree. We'd also, uh, you also find places where they haul out actual historic ornaments. You'll find places where they will um, just decorate trees with things they would have had. You'll find places where they light uh, the trees with candles. And a word of warning about that, when my, my grandmother always talked about them doing that because they didn't have um, electricity out to the farm yet when she was growing up. And they did the Christmas tree with the candles. And the, but there's a couple things you have to really watch for, and that is that you have the candles pinched on very solid branches, not just kind of the drooping on the edge. And you also don't let them burn very long because you have also uh, have set a burning flame on something that is basically a dry piece of foliage. So they would keep a bucket of water right there and they'd light it up and they'd ooh and ah and watch it a few minutes and then it would quickly put out the candles. You'll see people at these um, events that I don't think have had that same amount of experience with candles and sometimes they have them on all the time. So watch it. It is, um, there's a lot of times people are doing things because they think that they should and not because they know anything about them. So don't take anything they say about Christmas things with a a grain of salt, but you will find some that uh, put a lot of effort and a lot of work being accurate at Usher's. So we did have the scrub bush Christmas trees. We also had poinsettias, which definitely would not have been happening in the houses in 1900 in Iowa because poinsettias can't stand cold. And you put one in a windowsill in an insulated house with a stove, and guess what? They would would not be doing too good by the end of day two. So you're going to see different things. And probably the the um, most drastic example of that is in Puritan areas of New England on their historic villages and also in Colonial Williamsburg. Now, Colonial Williamsburg is famous today for having these very decorative fruit displays and wreaths and Stacks of food with little sticks of greenery in them, you know, fruits, um, pineapples outside and that kind of thing. And other villages have kind of adopted that, too, because when people come out for Christmas, they don't want to be told the fact that um, 
it was not the culture to decorate outside the homes and the decorations inside were a lot less elaborate. In fact, uh, Colonial Williamsburg kind of started this kind of fruit tradition because it was an actual town. It wasn't like they went through and uh, built this place. I mean, some of the buildings were rebuilt, but for the most part, this was an actual town and people were still living in the town. And they wanted in the area around the restored buildings, they wanted people to keep it looking sort of historic. And they were having things on there, you know, like blinking Christmas lights and everything else and kind of broke the mood. So what they finally said is, okay, uh, we will put an ordinance through that you can do Christmas decorations, but you can only do things that they would have available in the 19th century. So what did they have available? The, the people thought, well, fruit. So you started seeing all these decorations uh, that totally would not have been going on. Um, so it's kind of fun to see those too. And if you go to a historic village and they are actually telling you there wouldn't be much decorations for Christmas, listen to what they say because they're probably giving you better information than some of the other places. So if you are going to go to one of these historic house museums, there isn't really much you need to know Um all of the tour will be inside. If you're concerned, you might want to check ahead of time uh, to make sure that, you know, they've got good parking and good accessibility because parking, if it's been snowing, uh, is not always the easiest thing. But you mostly go into one place. Often they even would have a place for you to hang up your coats and you walk through the house. They do the activities. They go room to room. And then you get done and you leave. For a historic village or a living history site, it's a little more complicated. Now, part of this has to do with the fact that often living history sites, well, most of them are outside. I know that shouldn't be a shock, but I can tell you from someone who used to work in them quite frequently and people would decide to come to an outdoor museum for on a rainy day and it was like they would be shocked that part of it was outside but anyway part is outside so if it's cold outside it's cold if it's snowy it's snowy if it's icy it's icy if it's turned for some silly reason to be 70 degrees that weekend there's not much they can do about it so the weather is going to impact your experience if it is cold weather make sure you've got solid walking shoes make sure you've got layers thermal insul uh, thermal underwear can be your friend and you want a good coat and gloves or mittens if you can find a little faux fur muff or something or a bright knit scarf or something that would make you feel a little bit more period that's always fun it is not necessary uh, make sure that you either go to the bathroom before you get there or at the visitor center or wherever you're starting because walking around um, in the cold can often trigger people to have to go more often and 
usually if a living history site has one at basically each end of the village, you're doing good. Uh, also, sometimes, not many places anymore, but sometimes you will still find a place that uh, is, uh, especially inside the park, outhouses. And when I say that, I don't mean portable chemical toilets, so sometimes it's that too. I mean outhouses, which if uh, you, well, it is definitely a chance to feel how things really were in the past, but be aware of that. So use the indoor facilities while you can. Also be aware that um, you there's going to be often uneven surfaces. Now this is changing because a lot of a, a lot of historic places used to have period appropriate walkways. So that could be board, that could be brick. And while these things are pretty good during regular weather, none of them are smooth enough to really be able to shovel well as one would hope. You also have to watch out for um, places where it might have melted and frozen again. They most likely are going to be using um, some kind of grit. Um, It might be stove ashes. It might be actual grit. It might be ice melt. Who knows? But there's going to be stuff like that for you to walk in because that's almost always. It's just how it has to work. And you want to also um, be aware uh, for if they're going to have drinks or beverages. A lot of times they might have cocoa or hot cider and where they are going to be located. Sometimes they're included in the cost. Sometimes you have to pay for them extra. And if they are going to have like the horse drawn play, uh, be patient, be prepared to be patient because they a lot of times don't, well, let's put it this way. Everybody wants to go on a horse-drawn sleigh or bob set if there's one available. I mean, it's not something you get to do very often. And to get to do it on a starry, starry night in the snow is really an exciting thing. Everybody who comes will want to do it. There's only so much capacity they have, so be prepared to wait and be prepared that you may have to be waiting out in the snow. So understand that. Also understand if they do have animals, particularly horses that are um, pulling a load of people to not make sudden, um, not to make loud noises, not to jump in front of them and expect them to be able to stop. Uh, Horse-drawn wagons often do have brakes, but uh, it isn't like a car brake. They can't quit on a dime, so be very respectful of the horses and give them plenty of space around the vehicle and only do what the uh, driver, listen to the drivers. If they tell you not to get on, if they tell you not to go one way or the other or to stop doing that, listen. Um, because they are dealing with live animals who um, have their own 
reactions. So do not try and spook them or anything like that. Um, If you are interested in doing something with the museum, Christmas is also a great time to look around and see what kind of jobs are available, what kind of volunteer positions are available, things that you might do. Because, uh, again, while this is when going to most likely be the most stuff that's going on during a, a given year, things like this will be going on all summer. So feel free to ask them about stuff, particularly if it isn't a super busy time, or to contact them after the event and see if there's something that you would like to do, even if it's something uh, that it takes a little bit higher skill set. Sometimes the museum will have classes in that or training in that. And if it's kind of a unique skill, they're going to uh, be grateful to have somebody else that knows how to do it who's available to come volunteer. So to just sort of sum up here, uh, there's almost always uh, some local museum near you that will have Christmas, uh, especially house museums and historic villages, whether they're literally living history or not, they're going to have lots of things to uh, open up for and to do. It's going to be when there is the most people, when there's the most activities. It is also going to be cold. There might be uh, less opportunities to get warm because a lot of times the buildings might just have the wood stove heat. There will be wood stoves going, so you need to be careful of that and not think that you can just go up and touch the stove. So watch people. Uh, You're going to be seeing, and so you're not going to get to be maybe as warm as you think. And it may be kind of a really a taste of a different life. So I hope if you get a chance, you'll be going to a living history museum near you. And remember to brighten the corner where you are. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.